Welcome to the PEO podcast, where we interview industry leaders to discuss all things PEOs. From compliance to technology to client relations and everything in between, I'm your host, Andreas Toller. The American economy is way too big for us to worry about stepping on each yeah. other's toes and things like that. Like there, there's plenty of help to go around and plenty of work to go around. Let's help each other out. There's no point in not doing that, so. Welcome back to the PEO podcast. Today I'm talking to John, the CEO of ESI. From establishing culture reset to upgrading technology, we dive into the critical aspects of building a great company. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Tell us about your story. How did you enter the PO industry? I, I got kind of lucky. I, I went to school for just general business and, 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 uh, and entrepreneurship stuff. And the, the company that I was working for at the time, or the guy that I was working for at the time, um, had a, a staffing company in Houston. They had a client come to them and say, hey, you know, we're with Insperity right now. For whatever reason, they, they were shopping. They really liked the, the group that I was with and said, hey, you know, maybe six months later, they, they decided to, to jump in and start a PEO. Right as I was kind of graduating school, I said, hey, you're really well connected. Can we, can we, you know, could you help me find somewhere to land? And he said, why don't you just come here? <laughs> and so um, I wound up being employee number three of the PEO. And, you know, the, the rest is history there, so to speak. You know, when, when you're with a company, a PEO of that size, you really get to wear all hats and kind of get exposed to a real huge variety. And, and we were growing fast. So uh, that was fun. You know, I did everything from run payrolls to underwriting to pay benefits bills to um, literally part of my job at the beginning was to read all of the Napio legal reviews and, and do like book reports for the CEO. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. So that's, that's how I kind of got into PEO to begin with. Yeah, I'm sure it's a great way to get started, right? Like learning the business from the from the ground up, being part of that extended founder team, right? And and, mm -hmm. and to your point, wearing multiple hats. So you know, as as you basically had this broad portfolio of different responsibilities, like where was your passion, right? What 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 resonated yeah. with, with, with you? As we started to grow and the team started to grow. Um, we all kind of got to like specialize a little bit and to, to, to really kind of dig deeper into certain things. Um, and we, at the time, we were going through some software changes and, and we were implementing a, a new CRM system called ClientSpace, who they weren't new to the industry, but they were still very growing. It was still pretty early on in the development of that software platform for, for PEO. And so I, I was given that, I was, you know, just go project manage, go implement this, fell in love with IT, fell in love with software systems in that whole, that whole world. It just clicked. And I found a real passion there. And I found that passion right around the time that like my ambition in, in my career was accelerating as well. So it just kind of, it, it meshed. And um, I developed a really strong relationship with the owner of that company, Randy Wadel. Um, you know, we, we both wrestled in high school at a very competitive level. We both, you know, loved software. You know, we had a mutual faith kind of thing there as well. And we just hit it off really well. And he became a, a close mentor over the couple of years as we implemented and then helped push the software platform further through that on that side, at that time I was a client. So then I, you know, I, I was wanting to take my career to the next level and try something different, but still stay within PEO. So I called Randy and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to try something different. I'm wanting to, to do, you know, to get deeper into this software world. 
you know, do you have any advice for me? And I, I don't know, he wouldn't have done it if I hadn't have called him first, but he called me back and said, hey, look, we got to do this right. We got to be, you know, up front with, with Chris and, and, right. and, you know, Michael and, and do this right. But if you'd be willing to move to Florida, I'll make an offer. So we, we worked it all out. It, it, it worked out really well. I still have a fantastic relationship with the guys in Houston and, and, uh, and, you know, they were, they're still mentors of mine as well. But then, you know, I wound up spending six years, uh, six or seven years with Randy and, and the, the team at NetWise and ClientSpace, um, helping to implement everything across the board there. You know, implementing the platform, implementing the software, you know, enhancing, you know, working from a software consultant um, in a very traditional software business analyst, product manager capacity with our clients. I, I really loved that time there and, and everything that I learned. That time with Randy and Jim and the team at NetWise really shaped a big part of, of my knowledge in this industry because I got exposed to all kinds of different PEOs. Um, you know, from startup PEOs that, you know, on day one, they knew they needed a CRM to like the Oasis's of the world and, and spending the last, my last two years there was almost exclusively with, with Oasis. And so, you know, and, and then a lot of PEOs in between and you know, all the different variations. And, and that was, that was really cool. And I also, Randy sent me to all the Napio events. So you're not going to pass that up. And I'm sure that was great for the networking aspect as well, yeah. right? And getting connected in the industry. And if I'm not the, the company that then was uh, eventually sold to Prism HR, correct? Yeah. So we had a, a really good working relationship with the group from Prism, the, the management team there, and the, the industry as a whole was kind of behind the the I guess behind the rest of the world from a technology standpoint as it relates to you know API integrations and things like that. So we were trying to do our best to to serve the industry and to you know to build relationships with Prism and hey. You know, we can set up, we can build a better mousetrap together than, you know, apart, right? So let's work together. Um, so that's kind of how it started. Um, we, we, we started through a ton of our mutual clients building API integrations. And then, you know, it, it evolved from there into just being acquired by them. I think uh, in 2018 is when the, when the acquisition was finalized. And I'm sure that there was a lot of excitement for you then as well, like yeah. from like you know M and A perspective and, and being part of the deal and and entering a new new company. Uh, so so before and then you worked in you know privately held companies, the startup world, right? Like so now you work for a PE backed company. How was it different from from a cultural perspective? How it was different from a, from a day to day execution uh, perspective? Exciting is a very interesting way to put it. Like it, it's not like I was just hired at NetWise, and you know, we literally the day that they announced the acquisition, we had a guy. I remember had a guy starting. He's like, "Wait, what happened?" I, I got to be around to see what we built and to be very active. You know, I was I was blessed. You know, Randy Randy included us very heavily as a part of like the company culture. We're all building this thing together to be very active in building a company and building a product um, that we were proud of. And, and then to see that rewarded in a way, you know, you know, there was some validation for through, through acquisition, obviously, and then also see it on the, on the other end of it. Right. You know, and I, I've seen a, a lot of PEOs get acquired as well. And, and there's always the, the plans that happen during due diligence, the plans that happen the day after the paper gets signed and, you know, the plans for client space and, and, and the intentions with the team and, you know, integrating the companies. I had never been through anything like that. And it was, it was interesting. There, there were a lot of times when it was really fun. There were a lot of times when it was really stressful. I was surprised at how 
at times, like internally within PRISM, there were there was a lot of transparency and collaboration to make sure that that, that we were delivering something that that was going to provide value, not just make money. You know, PE is PE for a reason, right? <laughs> so, yeah, and, and, and to your point, right? Like in, in these in these uh, M&A transactions, right? Everybody goes in with a certain strategy, right? And then like sometimes like things are changing and evolving, right? And I think that, that's yeah. just very, very natural. But from, from the perspective of, you know, being, being part of it, and you said like, you know, Sometimes it was stressful. I'm sure also like, you know, you were stretched sometimes, right? And yeah. that's oftentimes in life where the, the true growth, uh, you know, accelerates, right? And when yeah. you essentially grow as a person, you're reflecting on, on, on these experiences. You know, I've never been one to like, I, I like to challenge myself. I don't like to I, I just, there's no sense in like dwelling in the negative of it. Let's be positive and let's, let's go make something good happen. And, and so I, I jived head first. I, I was all in. My role shifted pretty heavily. You know, I was no, I, I moved almost immediately out of dealing with clients to dealing with transitioning the product. Like how do we position the product? Cause I, I knew the product inside and out. So I could help the marketing team and the, the sales executive team really understand what they had, what they bought and how to position that to clients. Um, that was a really cool experience. You know, I think that there are, there's a learning experience as well. There are takeaways you learn from it, um, both good and bad, you know, and then I ultimately started to miss the consulting side. I really missed mm -hmm. spending time just helping people solve problems. And that's ultimately what led me to, to leave Prism it is I, I just, I, I wanted to get back to that really hands-on consulting. I wanted to do it myself on my own terms. So and, and, and so so once you finish your miss, mission at, at Prism, right? You started your own consulting firm, right? Focus on the PO industry. Maybe two questions there. Number one is like what was specifically the the, the consulting services back in the days that you provided, right? And then like how did you go about like finding the right clients and you know start starting that business? There were now after the acquisition, there were instead of 60 to 70 PEOs that had client space, there were now a couple hundred PEOs that had client space and they all needed really in-depth help. And, you know, my knowledge and my expertise spanned beyond just client space, right? You know, all kinds of careers worth of technology, software, and, and, and just obsession really through the industry. So it was primarily it was just software, just general software consulting, implementation, workflow, you know, product roadmap consulting. And then uh, I did a little bit of contract CIO work. One of my first clients was actually here, based here in Texas, um, where I'm at. I had just moved right before I left Prism. I had just moved my family back to Texas, to Austin. Um, and they're based in, they've got an off office here in Austin. They've, they're based in San Antonio. You know, they said, hey, look, we, we, we need help kind of bridging the gap to our new like i2.0 technology so they hired me as a contract cio and then i also had a number of just other clients whether they were existing legacy as we call them client space clients that needed help or they were brand new peo in hawaii that just they needed like help with their product roadmap help with their you know their technology roadmap and how to integrate all of that in, like the, the timing of integrating it all into to the crm and so there was just a lot of that at a high level what i did as a consultant i learned prism 
through that like year and a half of doing that, I learned PRISM probably deeper than all the rest of my career. I, I knew PRISM well, but that really kind of forced me to you know drink from the fire hose, if you will. And I, I loved it because it really is a complex system and, and capable system. And then, yeah, the way that I found all those clients, you know, I had clients all across the country. It was just years of 10 plus years of networking in the industry and and through NetWise. I had always had in my mind that 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 consulting and and like I always had my future career, the future possibilities of my career in mind at every state, even now. So anytime I would go to these Napio events or anything, it was just building goodwill for the possible, the, the, the future possibilities that my career might have. And one of them was always very honestly, like, I'm just going to be a con work for myself consultant. So, cause I just like helping people solve problems and I was taking a risk, but it was a very calculated risk when I left prison. Right. And even so much as like, when we moved back to Austin, there was that, well, if this doesn't work out, I'm in like the new tech hub of the country. I'll find something, right. It'll work out. It was a, still a calculated risk. Yeah, that, that's how I wound up here in Texas and, and consulting with a lot of PEOs all over the country, and which I loved, and then ultimately led me to the ESI, back to kind of this ESI relationship. Yeah, and it seems like to me very clear from your story, right, that there are, that there are two things very, very consistent, right? It's your passion about technology, right, and then the relationship that, that you build. So ESI, you're, you're running now as a CEO <laughs> That, that was also through a relationship, right? ESI was, was, was a client of your consultancy, right? When I was with client space, I actually, they were one of the first clients that, that I was like handed, right? Like, okay, you're going to do, do it all for this client. You're going to go implement them. And that was very early on with, with client space. So I, and I had no, known them, right? Cause it's that they were in the Texas market. So they, we kind of knew of each other and, and seen each other networking in the Texas uh, PEO market. Um, but then I got to work hands-on with them, implementing client space, you know, being a part of their sales process. So I knew their team really well. Um, so it was just kind of a natural fit when they asked me to be their contract CIO. And when that happened, we, we, we had an opportunity, a very unique opportunity. And, and, and over the years, I had continued to build a very deep relationship especially with Corey and Steven, but, but with Terry as well, we had a really unique opportunity to kind of take a look at, okay, what do we have? What do we think the future of the industry is going to be? What's the future of our company going to be? And how do we want to shape our technology roadmap? And, and where do we want to take all, you know, take the company? Yeah, that, that's, that's really what ultimately led me and allowed me to be able to, to, to be a part of this company. And, and then, and, you know, just, it's in my nature. I like people. And so to, to build relationships with people, I'd just started building all those relationships here. I really, I love the team that I get to lead. It's, it's a real honor and a privilege. The team that we have, um, that we've built, it, it's pre they're pretty incredible people. And I'm excited to, to spend a long time of you know, the next phase of my career leading this group. So, And tell us more about ESI from a, a ownership structure, from a positioning the market, right? A location mm -hmm. where you guys play and all those good things. Yeah, so it's a privately held PEO uh, based in San Antonio, headquarters in San Antonio, but we have office in uh, Austin, Houston, uh, and Corpus Christi. And um, we also have a, a, about 20% of the business is, is based in Colorado, um, right down the road from you. And so um, that's really our kind of our sweet spot. We are a small to medium-sized PEO, right around 5,000 worksite employees. And we really focus on simplicity, bringing simple solutions, right? Pe you know, simplifying, you know, the, the lives for, for business owners, simplifying business and doing that through high touch, high value relationships. Technology is kind of at the core, like, like an, I see that as more of a foundational underlying thing that enables 
you know, when you do technology well, it's kind of invisible. And so it's just that foundation that enables us to, to provide those really high touch, really high value relationships. That, that's the difference, right? When people leave and then they immediately come back because they say, oh yeah, I didn't realize just how good I had it. I feel the same way as, an, as, a, as a boss too. Like people may leave and they call like, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't know how good you were, right? And, and you mentioned in our previous conversation that the original founder of ESI, I think, went into retirement, right? So, yep. so, so with that, what, what are now your goals for the company, for the leadership team? Where, where do you want to take things? <clears throat> so Terry started the company 23 years ago, I think, officially. I think it was his third or fourth business that he started and built. When I came in, you know, the, the leadership team was, was pretty strong, but there, it was going through change, right? And as Terry was starting to, he kind of envisioned his retirement and started to, to, to make shifts and, and position the company for retirement, as well as, you know, making sure that his boys, Terry and Steven, were not left holding it all by themselves, right? And so I think that's a big part of the reason he asked me to step into the position that I'm in. The relationship that I have with the Corey and Steven is, is very strong. Um, and it, it's a very healthy relationship for kind of the dynamic that we're in. Like, I'm not naive, right, to the dynamic I'm in, but we make it work because... So we, the, the dynamic being like, you know, the the original founder has two sons that, that are... Yeah. That's obviously not normal, but it works for us. You know, we found a way because we respect each other and because we have a healthy working relationship, we make it work. We have this really healthy feedback um, loop with each other, as well as we know how to divide and conquer. We know each other's strengths and we don't try to overlap where we know we shouldn't. And so Corey's not allowed to design databases and I'm not allowed to <laughs> manage the sales team, right? And, and do marketing. Very clear boundaries and setting yeah. these expectations uh, yep. that are that are leading to the success. So, you know, from, from your what what is now as a CEO, what, what's what's kind of like your, your focus areas? Where are you putting your energy in? Yeah, so we've spent the last year, year and a half, really focusing on our culture. That That's a really, a really big deal. Not that Terry did, you know, not, not that there was anything bad about the previous culture. Like it was just, there's anytime there's a new shift or that large of a shift in leadership team, there just needs to be like a, a new coat of paint or a new, a, 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 a refreshing um, or refresher, if you will, to, to that culture. So we've spent the last year and a half really focusing on culture. I mean, it's an interesting time to do that given the pandemic and the winter storms and, and the other event that happened to us. It's been a struggle, right? With the mass resignations and all this other things like we, we've not lost anybody that wasn't, or that was like not by choice, right? Or, or um, where we weren't making a strategic decision. Um, we're very intentional with our staff and with our leadership team and, and the culture that we're, we're implementing. It's not just enough to say what we provide. It's also important to say how we do it. Like, who do we want to be recognized as, as we go and do these you know, provide this value to the, to the markets that we're in. So that, that's the, the main focus. And then as we continue forward, you know, we want to continue to strengthen that foundation, but we're um, making some substantial investments in our technology platform and, and the technology tools that we have in place, as well as continuing to build the team to, to better meet the needs of our clients, right? We can't, we can't say that we want to be high touch, high value, but not have enough people to meet all those needs. Yeah, and before we go into the technology, you, you started off with um, something that, that's also very important for me, right? The culture. 
And so you said like you're investing a lot into it. Outline to us maybe concretely what, what are you doing about the culture, right? How do you measure your success there, right? How do you know that you are successful in, uh, in, um, in, in these investments? Yeah. So first and foremost, what we did is we went back to the basics, right? We, we reestablished our mission, vision, values, and in our internal, when I say values, just like our value proposition, as well as our internal values. And we made it very simple so that anyone in the company can rattle it off, right? Our mission is to simplify the employment challenges of business. And we do that through buying power, expertise, and efficiencies. And then our core values, we very clearly, you know, outline what are our core values and then what are the attributes that would be very apparent in someone who is exhibiting this core value. So maybe, maybe it's hard to put your finger on what is, what does it mean to have integrity as a core value? If you don't like outline the attributes of what is it, what does that mean to us, right? It's, it's hard to know when someone's misaligned, right? Now it's very clear to know. When someone's misaligned from our, our list of core values, um, integrity, service, and innovation, it's easy for us to see, hey, what's going on here? Let's, let's reel that in. And then the other thing that we did to help very tangibly manage that, it's more of a, an art than a science, but we implemented EDMs. I call them employee development meetings. And so once a month, instead of doing like an annual performance review, once a month, you have a, a, a kind of a one-on-one with your manager. Um, employee development meeting. And it's it's more than just talking about, hey, what's on your task list? How do I remove obstacles? It's also, it is intended to be the like the foundation of a mentor relationship. I would not be even remotely where I am today without the mentors that I've had in my life, whether they were intentional or me just like hacking them into mentors. And so that's important. And we kind of built that into our, our regular cadence of meeting with our people and talking to them and you know, I have a really good example is I just had someone on my staff leave, but it was a really healthy thing. And I, I was really proud of them. They were ne- taking the next step in their career. And because of the, the way that we were able to, to meet in those EDMs, it, it, they left on really good. They finished well. They finished their time here well. Like those are the things that we have implemented and really focused on watching. And, and we like watch the trends in people's EDMs to say like, are they even taking the time to fill out the EDM form before they meet with their manager? Or is it just, mm-hmm. hey, look, we know something's going on with them because they just put in like three words. So this yeah. is super fascinating. You you focus initially on you know the, the vision, the mission statement, core values. You you implemented the monthly uh, employee development meetings, right? Some I think some really tangible uh, things you did there. Did you have like an external consultant or like a certain methodology or framework or was it on something that like, you know, you took from, from different books? It kind of from different books. I, I recently read Traction. I've been through yeah. E-Myth a couple of times. Uh, we went through E-Myth twice at, at NetWise and just loved that. And we had a consultant that I learned from there just through different experiences with different companies and, and different books that I've read. So, so essentially all self-implemented, there wasn't... Uh... Yeah, through parts of it, we had other people influencing. You know, we had um, Blythe is, is an interesting, uh, an industry consultant, um, as well as uh, Ray Dial, kind of influencing and helping, you know, McHenry and Clay and some of these other guys from the industry helping. But for the most part, it was all self-implemented and self-monitored. And, and, and you mentioned tracks in the book. Uh, that's Dino Wickman, right? Uh, just yes. Yeah, yep. yeah. You know, I want to shift the conversation now. You said like, you know, the, the culture and then technology. 
So what, what's your philosophy now around differentiating through technology if everybody is on the same platform? Yeah, it's interesting. The, the, the industry has been through a very, it's been through an interesting evolution, right? Just from a technology standpoint over the last couple of years. And I think that it's just in the last year taken another leap forward. The, inter, the industry is 20, 30 years old, very service oriented um, to start out with. And it was late to the eight ball. Most PEOs were late to the eight ball from the technology revolution, right? Whereas now the majority of my staff are digital natives, right? And so it's not even like I have to provide my staff tools that, that keep up with them, let alone, you know, that keep up with my competition. So, so PEOs had to go through this transition of we're a service provider, but we now have to kind of, we have to compete. We don't have a choice, but to compete from a technology standpoint through HCMs and portals and, and things like that. And we have to have better technology internally to, to be able to churn out, you know, more payroll and, and you know, more efficiently manage the internal stuff. It kind of went to, instead of investing in, in seeing that as a part of their product and a part of their like their core offering, they wound up seeing it as like this kind of add-on to the core offering and because they're a service company, right? It's kind of this add-on thing that we provide along, along with the service. And because of that, they outsourced it all, right? And just give it all away. I made that maybe came across a little negative. The reality is, is that that at the time was a good decision, right? It was a very good business decision because it allowed a lot of these companies to keep up with the companies that were just payroll technology or just the, the, the HCM portals or, and because they didn't have the staff to build it themselves or, or, or you know, it's a, it's a massive resources, yeah. software like that, right? Well, over the last five years that, you know, not only are now the, the average employee is a digital native who they can probably write some of their own code themselves, the, the, the evolution of low code to no code platforms has come along that have made building software a matter of having really good system admins, not having developers on staff. Platforms like client space to some degree, Salesforce, especially SAP and some of these others like that, the marketing one, HubSpot's even getting into it now, HubSpot, right? Yeah. That are point and click software development, right? That has kind of changed the changed the perspective on what do you actually need to have to build your own platform? Yeah, you, you don't need a full-blown software development team. And then, you know, I, I think that certain events have happened in the industry that have also, right, you look at certain PEOs that they they start and they build, you know, they build the software themselves and to start out with and, and they can grow exponentially because it's their platform, they're in full control, right? And then you have very large software providers where PEOs that are in this position where they're having to, to come to face-to-face -to -face with this decision of, is technology, is, you know, my payroll platform in, in, in software, is, you know, all of my accounting stuff and tax management and my, you know, my portal, the, the you know, time and attendance, the, the HCM, the employee management, the, the employee portals, what of those things, like what is actually a part of my product offering? And if it's a part of my product offering, am I okay giving up control of my product? Which means you're just a reseller, right? So if, if you don't have control, maybe you're really good at reselling Prism or, or iSolved or Pro Software. You're just reselling that software. You can't, there's no other way to position that, right? And so in the case of like differentiating yourself against, you know, if in Prism, we are on Prism, we use Prism, right? And 
within 50 miles, there's three other PEOs that are also Prism, probably also have Salesforce or some version of client space and the exact same tech stack, right? Like the only way to differentiate yourself is to be better at using the tool. So that's where taking time to invest in like, we have to be better at Prism than everyone else if we want to differentiate ourselves. So that is one way to do it. And it's a, it's a decent way to do it, right? Another way to do it is to, to segment out what are like, how much of that basket am I really willing to, to outsource, right? Am I, am I really willing to outsource 80% of, of the, the product offering to someone else? Or can I, can I build some of that myself, right? And leave other parts of it with them, whether it's Prism or whoever it might be with. A lot of PEOs are having to, to kind of reconcile with that and, and like re, either reconfirm their decision to stay how they are, right? But just maybe with different motivations now, or they have to kind of set a different roadmap forward. And, you know, that that's part of what we're doing. You know, we're in the process of building a new, a new front end, right? So when we went through that evaluation, we ultimately came to the decision of there are parts of it that we don't have to build, but there are parts of it that we definitely want to be in our control, right? Like the thing that our client and worksite employee perceive as a product, you know, the, the manager portal and the, the client portal, I want to be in control of those things. The other, you know, the back office, so I kind of, we kind of broke it up into front, you know, front end, back end, front off, you know, front end, back office stuff. Um, and, you know, we want to try to be in control of anything that is front end and where we're, I'm in control of the roadmap. I'm in control of the, the uptime. I'm in control of the, the security of it all. It's a, it's an investment to make. It certainly is. It's a different roadmap. But, you know, I, I think that the tools are available today, like they've never been before. The staff is available, like the people are available today, like they've never been before to where it's possible. So, John, you're, you're describing essentially like two different strategies here, right? Strategy yeah. number one is like, okay, I just want to become the best user, so to speak, of an existing system and become mm -hmm. more and more efficient. And, you know, there's certainly a place for that. And then, you know, strategy two was maybe combining an existing solution, but then also invest into your own technology from two different perspectives, right? One is what you said, like control, right? But then I'm, I'm sure also differentiation. You know, you mentioned specifically the front end. Now it just looks differently, right? And if uh, a client basically sees three or four different demos, right? You you are you just have to have a, have a different perception. So. From your perspective, right? How do you make these decisions on a on a you know yearly, quarterly basis where you say like, okay, for this element now, for this process, we want to develop something ourselves? Well, it, it definitely we we internally have kind of a, a, a process. Corey and I talk about this stuff weekly, <laughs> almost. We have a, a, a regular kind of cadence to talking about these things, both with our all of my the, the IT team that I've built here, as well as the, man the, the management team, attending as many conferences and just absorbing knowledge from the industry, uh, attending conferences that are not just our industry, but kind of adjacent, right? I love to go to the um, the IPPA and, and, and HR tech and, and yeah. some of these other ones that are like adjacent industries to see what they're doing. MarTech even is, is not bad um, to, to get insight, right? Any of these like B2B technology solutions are, are it's good to, to kind of just keep it a, a, a finger on the pulse, right? And just to confirm, right? And then that's happened to us. Like the plan that we're executing now, the original idea hatched a couple of years ago, right? And it's taken time to, you know, through a very iterative you know, evaluation and strategy and, you know, we're a small team. So it's not like I can just 
and we're self-funded. I can't just throw a couple million dollars at a new team, go build this thing on the side, right? Like it's been very interesting to see that happen. Literally along the process, parts of that strategy have changed and, and that's fine. I really like being small to medium size, have, you know, taking on this path because we're nimble. We can, we can do that. We take a very just agile to our culture approach of agile strategy, agile culture, you know, constantly improving. Perfection is a myth constantly evaluating internally, are we on the right path? So at least once a quarter, Corey and I meet and say, hey, has anything changed that would throw us off? No? Okay, keep going. And then uh, twice a year, like the the bigger, like senior leadership team, management team will meet on those things and say, hey, do we need to get any vendors out, bring any vendors in? You know, are the core the core roadmap, is that still good? If somebody wants to reach out to you, or to you know, have a dialogue, what, what's the best way to, uh, to reach you? Uh, LinkedIn is the best way to hit me first and, and just reach out there and then we can we can connect through that. And I'm very open into helping. You know, I think the American economy is way too big for us to worry about stepping on each, in each yeah. other's toes and things like that. Like there, there's plenty of help to go around and plenty of work to go around. Let's help each other out. There's no point in not doing that, so. This podcast is sponsored by ThrivePass, a trusted PO partner for employee benefits from pre-tax accounts to COBA administration. ThrivePass empowers employees to thrive through exceptional service and innovative technology. More at thrivepass.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at po-podcast.com to learn more. I'm Andreas Deptoller and this is the PEO Podcast. We'll see you next time.